Hey guys, uh, it's Mary from From the Top. I wanted to come on really quickly and just give a little disclaimer right before we get into this week's episode. We do talk about some really fun things in the show, but we also talk about some really heavy things, including, but not limited to, mention of suicide multiple times because that is kind of a core idea of this show. So if this is not for you, that's totally fine. Feel free to skip this show. But uh, please be advised that listener discretion is advised, especially for those listeners who might be under the age of 13. Enjoy the show. Mary. I'm I'm really mad at you. And I'm really sorry if this episode is just going to turn into a crying fest of Mary. (laughs) Um, But like... This show oh, is no. really good. This it show is, is really good. It, it really, really good. is. And it hits all those feels. And to like put salt in the wound, this is the last show we're covering for our season. I know. Oh, man. I think I need a bag of corn nuts. Um. Well, as long as we can have it with a Slurpee, I think I'll be okay. I said big gulp. Sorry, you did say big gulp. I'm. So, I just hear. I hear Heather screaming for her corn nuts. Clearly, this is going to be a fun ride. I mean, Stephen, there's no other way to do this but to take this show from, from the, the top. top. From the top. A five, six, seven. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. I'm Steven. And tonight, for our season finale, we are discussing a beautiful piece of theater that I clearly have feelings about that I'm very ready to get into with you. Uh, On the marquee this evening, we're discussing... Heather's the musical. We were so tiny, happy and shiny, playing tag and getting chased. Break, slut, loser, short bus. Singing and clapping, laughing and napping, baking cookies, eating paste. Old night, stuck up, hushback. Then we got bigger, that was the trigger, like the Huns invading Rome. Oh, sorry. Welcome to my school, this ain't no high school, this is the Thunderdome. Hold your breath and count the days, we're graduating soon. White trash! College will be paradise if I'm not dead by June. But I know, I know, life can be beautiful. I am so excited this, like, made you super emotional you, uh, you literally just watched this so you're coming in hot i really did and it's like I, I i mean i mentioned it way back in when we talked about phantom of the opera and andrew lloyd weber which i don't like to resurrect weber but i'm going to uh you know when you have something even though I've seen Phantom of the Opera several times, the moment that Christine hits all these beautiful arias, it gives me goosebumps, right? And that was my mark of a good show is that if it can give me goose flesh, it just, it's tickled some sort of nerve in my brain. And Heather's almost every single freaking number. Every freaking number, man. It tingled every theater part of my brain. I also really love that 
it's almost like this full circle moment for us in so many ways. Heather's is like the new Spring Awakening. Oh, thank God you said that because I immediately made that connection. Yeah. Like from if, if Spring Awakening and Grease and High School Musical had a baby with like this '80s cult classic as the father, yes. That's it. Yes. That is what the show is. Oh my God. 100,000%. I'm, oh my it's God. It's got that bitter. It's got that sweet. It's got that cult fever, but it feels good oh. and it feels so bad. God, <laughs> it's so bad. It feels so bad because it's so good. And you, I don't know about you, but I found myself like really like wanting to root for specific people and then yeah. finding myself not able to, and then rooting for people that I never thought I would and, and feeling something for someone that they've villainized from the beginning of this show. And it's just like, I mean, there were, you know, there are fourth wall breaks and, and, mm. and I mean, there's just, mm. Mm-hmm. There's such a good melting pot that goes into making this final show. And I'm I, seriously just shook. I mean, it's so good. It really is a full circle moment because we met do- doing Spring Awakening. Yeah. And I was introduced heavily to this show during Spring Awakening. Oh, were you really? <laughs> yeah, heavily. <laughs> That's uh, we'll amazing. Get into, we'll get into that a little bit later. But, oh, I love uh, that. I kind of want to know, Mary. Oh, no. You know what I'm going to ask you. Oh, I do. You coming fresh out of that hot seat, oh, crying God. those cries. Oh, my God. Those really big tears. Uh huh. I'm sure. What would you say is a synopsis for Heather's The Musical? Oh, my God. This is really hard because I want to do a broad kind of overarching synopsis, but then I also really want to do a very specific thing. Yeah. So I'm going to try to marry these two things and we're going to see how well this goes. A high school senior, Veronica Sawyer, finds herself with an opportunity to be able to join a group on the school campus known as the Heathers, who are the most popular girls in the school, after a night of partying and meeting the wrong bad boy, she becomes inundated with crime running rampant on her school campus. She finds out that at the end of the whole thing, it never mattered who you sat at the lunch table with. All that matters is let's just be 17 and be kids while we can, because the world sucks. But right now, I don't want to know that. That was really more philosophical than it was a synopsis. But well, no, uh, but like, that's that's the basic breakdown of what this show does. This was an '80s cult classic film. Oh my but, God, Christian Slater! I'm sorry, yeah, right? So but, funny. Yeah, it, but it it's it feels so current, and like we're still going through it. And I think like the story about being a teenager is always relevant we found that out in spring awakening Absolutely. we find that out in hairspray we find that out uh this 80s cult version yeah. of the show but yeah. we also find it out now in this 2000s version of the show so oh, it, it's wow. it's, a, it's a timeless idea yeah. in that way of coming of age it's right this is a totally quintessential is. coming of age however what's what's uh, veronica's line uh her teen angst has a body count <laughs> 
Dear Diary, my teen angst has a body count. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, so uh, let's talk about this. We're dropping names. We need a cast list. We need to know who's yes. on this call sheet. Yes. Uh, so we can start getting into this because Fantastic. I, I am making I am making no promises. This may end up having to be a two-part episode. Yeah. There's so much to talk about. There really is. But this show deserves it. So looking at our call sheets, there are truly eight principal characters of this show. And then everybody else is the ensemble. We're tying this back to Spring Awakening again. Mm -hmm. All the adults are played by the same people over and over and over. They absolutely are. So we get to create this little bubble of who these teenagers are. But these adults are always cast as adults. And so that was fun in the production we watched. But I think that's a great way to double cast this because it creates that same sort of atmosphere and vibe. Oh, absolutely. Um, And it it does. It creates this lovely sort of um, world for these teens to live in. And it's, I think that it's, it's great because then it allows us as the audience to know that those people are separate from the kids. What's funny to me, I don't know if this actually was, you know, intentional or not, but um, whenever the parents showed up, uh, the, the lights always went very neutral and then when oh, the yeah. kids were all around, it was all the bright colors. And it's like mm-hmm. very, very much a, you know, once you become a, an adult, the world becomes monochromatic and you only really see color when you're 17 and you're falling in love and you don't really know what that means. And, you know, any various and other insert, you know, phrase here. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was super cool. Yeah, so, I, I have it. I have it somewhere. I called this show Romeo and Juliet on an acid trip. Oh my god, that's literally perfect, Stephen. That is literally yes. Mwah. Chef's kiss. No notes. Beautiful. <laughs> Love it. I never get a note. <laughs> You're right. Actually, if we're thinking about that, you only got notes when you were the choreographer, not because of your acting. So. And then I beat up the director. Yes, so. you did. That's why there were two. So one could take the brunt and the other one would be like, I'm afraid of him. So do your thing. You do great. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Well, so speaking of being afraid of teenagers, um, our first character that we come across in Heather's is Veronica Sawyer. She burns to be both cool and kind, but doesn't yet know how to be both at the same time. Fierce sense of right and wrong, keen sense of ironic humor, thinks she's an old soul, but she's still innocent enough to be blindsided by love and hormones or shocked by cruelty. So the next character we come across is JD or Jason Dean. Uh, JD is Veronica's boyfriend and he is darkly charismatic, compelling, attractive, charming on the outside, yet very damaged on the inside. Keen smarts and strong inventive comedy. He is, I mean, I, this, what does this say about me? I was attracted to him immediately. So. Well, you're supposed to be because he's super cool he's and charismatic so cool. and just like that enigmatic intrigue, you know? Yes. Like, Especially the black no trench There's no way you're not. Oh gosh, right. Well, that's quintessential eighties. Like, oh yeah. Let's talk about Breakfast Club. Done. Uh, yes. Walking away, fist bump on the football field. <laughs> One. If you didn't, I swear to God, whoever's listening, if you didn't fist bump, just then shame on you. Then we're gonna get into our group of Heather's. <laughs> Ah, Heather, 
So the first Heather that we come across is Heather Chandler. She's the richest, hottest, most magnetic, cruelest girl in town. She relishes power and wields it like a scalpel. No fear, no patience, no mercy. Our second Heather in the group is Heather McNamara. She is beautiful, innocent, stupid, can be mean on command if Heather Chandler orders it, but actually quite vulnerable and fearful. She's head of the cheerleading squad, too, Correct, yes. And she is our Heather who is clad in yellow. Uh, And the last Heather that we come across in the group is Heather Duke. She is the whipping girl of the three Heathers. When she finally becomes Queen Bee, she wields power like a bulldozer. She is the one Heather that actually, like, Heather Chandler was very, like, to me, um, oh yeah, I could see, I, I know that you're Queen Bee without even needing to be told. Heather Duke is like, you got a feral, like, raccoon behind a piece of, like, equipment, and she is literally mowing people down in the street. She's like, I'm it. I'm the, I'm in charge. Listen to me. And it's like, sis, back up and calm down, would you? Well, it's kind of like what happens when you put a an animal in a cage and then finally let it out. Oh, my God. But really, though, that's a, that's a great description of that. Absolutely. Well, and what's what does Veronica describe her as? No discernible qualities per se, but her mother bought her a nice new rack. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then following our group of Heathers, we do have a couple of our um, ancillary characters. Martha Dunstock, who they also call Martha Dump Truck. So sad. I know. She is nicknamed Martha Dump Truck, the opposite of hot, confident, or popular. She is a huge and beautiful soul, optimistic even in the face of rejection. Uh, In this particular iteration that we watched, uh, she had a leopard print fanny pack and a sweater that had a bedazzled unicorn on it. It's like, sis... I used to wear that outfit. I, I see you. I see about 10 of those walking down a street of Portland every day. I, do, I mean. Oh, yeah. Martha, it's back in fashion Come now. live here. Come live here, baby. <laughs> and then we also have Ram Sweeney. He is a linebacker on the football team. Big, insensitive to the feelings of others and ruled by appetites, whether they are physical or food related. That was a very nice way. Thank you. Yes. saying he's a hornball. Yes. He's a hornball <laughs> that loves to fornicate and he likes to feast. Ugh, a glutton on all accounts. Indeed. <laughs> and then finally, uh, of our title named characters, uh, Ram's best friend is Kurt Kelly. Kurt is the quarterback and captain of the football team. He is big, chiseled, rude, entitled, cocky, and mean. Uh, he thinks that he is the brains in the friendship with Ram, and uh, he is just your classic dumb jock. I mean, if you're looking at st- like archetypes, I mean, he and Ram both fit into the dumb jock d- okay, archetype. But here's like the weird thing. Oh, hit me they with a com- weird thing. They steal the show a little bit, don't they? Like they only do that, Stephen, because they're in like you know tidy whities the entire rest okay, of the show. But beyond that, uh huh. Yeah, well, they're both beautiful humans, so well, you have to cast them that way. I but, know. But at the end of the day, I just end up like not rooting for them, but I can't wait until the next time they get on stage mm-hmm. to see what the next dumb 
thing they're going to do. On the flip side of that, they can also be wickedly intimidating when they need to be. Because, like, that whole scene when um, it's the song where they do, I think it's... um, it's yo girl or, or something like that when they're like, Hey, you got to keep this together because people are going to catch on to you. And they've all got the mallets and they're just advancing on her. And I'm like, um, so y'all were stupid in like a minute and like bumping your junk. And now I'm right. terrified of you. So those are really, I guess your main, um, your main kind of cast. And then, you know, everyone else after that in the ensemble, you've got, you know, Ram's dad, you've got uh, Coach Ripper, and you've got JD's dad, uh, Veronica's mom, um, Kurt's dad, yeah. Veronica's dad, All the teachers, all yeah. the parents, all the, all the, all the yeah. adults. But so those are really your main, your, your main eight plus your... Uh, Heather, Heather, Heather. Veronica? get into the meat of this show, which we know is very meaty. That was terrible. I wish I had thought of something else, but that's okay. So meaty. So meaty. I think that to do the show justice, we really need to talk about the plot line of this show because yeah. she goes places. She goes places. And she goes a lot us, of places. We are going to be in Every nook and cranny. So <laughs> we will literally go far and wide, and sometimes we'll have to pull each other back to come back to the main storyline. But I think that's the beauty of this show is the fact that there are so many things that you can dissect and other paths that you can go down. But ultimately, we have to come back to the main the main path because it, it is the st- I mean, OK, not the story worth telling, but you know what I mean? Like it is it is the core of this show and we have to respect it. Although we love the other branches, we got to come back to the main line. Exactly. So, I mean, this show starts off, we get thrust into this high school life in Westerberg High School, right? Uh, Where the Heathers are supreme rulers of uh, this this realm. Heather, Heather, and Heather, as we know, uh, Chandler, McNamara, and Duke. 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 <laughs> she scares me a little bit. Of I'm just Chandler saying. and McNamara, it's so funny to me that the author would then choose the last name Duke because it's so harsh up against the other two last names. That's very yeah, strange. It is interesting. Uh, but some of the names were uh, like weird, fun things that he liked. Oh, Veronica sure. Sawyer is actually meant to be Veronica from the Archie comics, as in Veronica. Oh, and then cute. Uh, it's actually Tom Sawyer from um, ah, Mark Twain. Like, shut yeah, up. so it's just converging two of his favorite things together. So a lot of these things are like inside jokes from Daniel Waters. So it's interesting that way. Okay, anyway, that's this kind is of not adorable. the plot line. No, that's it's just not. My but sorry, normal, stupid, irrelevant things I have in my brain, which is why we have a podcast. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we're thrust in immediately into this high school where clearly things are either not okay or it's just 
showing high school life as is in this treacherous teenager Armageddon. And uh, (laughs) we are given this story from Veronica's perspective where she says, I'm just going to get through these four years and I'm going to make the best of it I can. And it's pointed with if she's not dead by June, which Mm -hmm. means like it's literally the Thunderdome, which is another reference in this. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's just really interesting. So we, we are then introduced to the Heathers and uh, all of our side characters. Then due to an incident with a teacher in bathroom where Veronica gets the Heathers out of detention, they decide to offer her a boon, a boon, (laughs) which I think is ballsy that she asked for it. Like, she she, she set did. the terms and then they went, well, okay, but if you're going to do this, you have to look presentable. Exactly. I love it. It's, Makeover. Oh, my God. And Heather, <laughs> I'll need your brush. But uh, we then get to see Veronica in this uh, that opening number transform and become essentially the fourth Heather in a way. <laughs> uh, we're then introduced to JD, the broody uh, high school newbie oh, that nobody Dean. knows. Oh, I love and me some JD. Yeah, it's yeah. He uh, so so dark, so dreamy, so. <laughs> uh, Sorry, come then, back. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah. Eventually, through the plot, yeah. uh, high school parties happen. These things go on. We get these pivotal moments from the film. Uh, Veronica throwing up on Heather's shoes and and uh, all these things and all uh, of a sudden she's going to be a dead girl walking come Monday because yeah, how buddy. dare we lift you up and you just puke all over me. <laughs> so in a drunken state, Veronica decides to go visit new boy JD. Oh, yay. They, they've clicked a little bit and uh, her in her last 30 hours before school starts again they uh hook up and Ow! uh thus wake up the next day and realize they need to go do some triage <laughs> to the situation that's putting it lightly as triage <laughs> yeah lightly and so thus is born this whole thing of jd and veronica going and visiting heather chandler the queen bee herself oh boy and she she, uh, JD jokingly, hard quotes on the joking, yes. uh, says, hey, let's uh, give her some uh, blue poison, essentially, which is some drain cleaner or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, something he found under the sink, which is the no-no zone for all the chitlins. Um, yeah, chitlins <laughs> and adults alike. <laughs> Matt, Matt. I have no idea. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, actually, this might be the perfect time to introduce the theater ghost that sort of haunts the realm of the podcast. You have the Phantom of the Pod. I have the theater pod ghost. I sh- oh my god, I love that these are our perspective. It's just yeah, delightful. If you ever hear rustling or random noises, that's him. It's probably the it's probably the ghost or it's the Phantom. I mean, either one. They they work in tandem, truly. So the poison is then mixed up, quote unquote, and given to Heather Chandler. <laughs> And uh, (laughs) she has a lovely death, uh, but then using quick thinking, Veronica decides to use her 
handwriting skills to write a suicide note to cover up the fact that they just offed one of their classmates. <laughs> but we have to make sure that it sounds like Heather because she wouldn't use the word myriad because she missed it on her vocab test. Which I believe JD just says exactly. Just another reason for her to use it. The next day at school, clearly it's this whole big sensational thing. Heather Chandler has, you know, killed herself. Everyone's a little upended. Everyone trying to figure out what's what's the new vibe. What's the power? Mm-hmm. Who's who has what? What? Are, who do we listen to? But really, all everyone just wants to do is continue life is mm-hmm. really how this story continues. Yep. So they do continue. And Heather Duke starts thinking she's maybe a little bit of hot shit. So <gasps> she finds the ceremonial red scrunchie in Heather's yeah. locker. Yes. The, the one thing I think I've taken from this show, red scrunchie equals power. I know what I'm sending you for Christmas this year. Eventually, Heather Duke and Heather McNamara get stuck with the boys. Oh, <laughs> Oh, the boys. Kurt and Ram. Oh, Kurt. Oh, God. <laughs> and they call up Miss Veronica in a in a huff, just saying, come save us. Veronica has to spend some time trying to get away from these two who are essentially, trigger warning, trying to rape her. <laughs> yeah. In the middle of a cow field. <laughs> oh, of all of the places to have that happen, I find it very funny that you are surrounded by shit. <laughs> Just yes. like, what? My, this yes. moment is shit, and I'm surrounded by shit, and <laughs> this this whole thing is shitty. I think that's hysterical, and that's very smart writing. Continue. Yes. Oh, totally. Eventually, JD finds out about this. Thus again comes up another... <laughs> reason for him to try to off some people. So he stages some Ikkluga bullets, which he says to Veronica, my grandfather had, he stole them off of somebody in the war, but the Germans used to use them and it has a powerful tranquilizer where they used to fake their own suicides and they'll be fine. They'll just be sleeping. And then by the time they wake up, like, we will have spread terrible rumors about them. And it's like, baby, I get that you like JD because he's adorable and he's dark and fun, but you're the smartest of the Heathers. How do you not know that this is not a real thing? Like, especially since she's the one who's like read up and and she's kind of a nerd because everybody calls her a nerd in high school. How would you not know that these things aren't real? It's so funny to me that she is so willing to have blinders because JD is telling it to her. So she's like, well, of course that's true. Until he shots fired and she has to go check on Ram, who isn't moving. Because, weird, they're real bullets. Well, for those of you, actually, this is a fun little weird factoid about our specific podcast. Uh, About... 15% 15% of our listenership is actually in Europe. Um, I kind of love that for us. <laughs> a little bit, actually. Like, That's hello, a- Europe. Hello, hello, UK. Hello, Hi. everyone. So I think Ikluga, which we are absolutely defiling, uh, means I'm lying. <gasps> oh my God, are you kidding me? Uh, yeah. See, smart freaking writing, man. I'll tell you what. So now, two boys dead. Heather, dead. Our body count is currently three. And Veronica has to do her thing, plagiarize some suicide notes. Get and after it, girl. The, profess the love <gasps> for they had for each other of Kurt and Ram. So. Uh, which leads into the I love. Our act two opener. I, I love, love my, my dead, dead gay, gay son. son. 
which was amazing. I told the Phantom of the Pod, this is his, that would be the song that he would like the most, which I don't know what that says about him. But we find out through this song that the dads of Kurt and Ram actually had a gay experience on a fishing trip once, and they've been suppressing their love for each other the whole time. <gasps> the whole time. Bum, bum, bum. Act two just sort of like is the, the climax of our story with everyone's plot line. So we get Heather Duke, who's now not taking it anymore. We have our guidance counselor finally getting the the assembly that she wanted. JD and Veronica are are at odds because Veronica's coming to terms with the fact that JD's not a great guy and he's using all of this as an excuse. So she finally stands up to him. Then, uh, realizes he has bigger plans to have this whole assembly Mm -hmm. uh, become essentially a tomb for the entire high school and a major suicide note (laughs) to America saying, hey, you want to be better. You can do better. We all killed ourselves. So it's it's this whole world is high school sort of metaphor and it, it comes to a head. So. JD spoilers ends up kind of switching right at the end in in this version saying nope I'm going to be the hero uh after a big tiff with Veronica where they injure each other yep he gets shot and ends up taking one for the team and stifles the bomb blow getting it far enough away from all of the other triggers saving the day essentially mm-hmm. and Veronica is there to tell the story and say hey None of you know what happened, but I can only try to continue on and be a better person from all of this experience. Honey, what you waiting for? a lot and it even harkens back to the the original source of this they talk about how when you're that age you feel like Mm -hmm. you are an adult well we're too old to do this exactly we're seniors we can't do this anymore but you're still growing you are still you're still children uh children to to an extent right you you hit that magical age of 18 and you suddenly have privileges and rights that maybe you didn't before however Mm -hmm. you don't have the experience necessarily to back up now that's not that's a blanket statement so i'm not saying every teenager is does not have the backing to do this no but, but generally for speaking, the most part yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah for the most part you are going to enter into a lot of situations where you have no idea what you were getting into and exactly you just you but you you're given this idea that you're an adult so you just assume you can handle it And this show perfectly signifies what happens when you have no handle on it. (laughs) See, that was a better synopsis than what I tried to give at the beginning. Are you kidding me? It was beautiful. Yours was heartfelt. Oh. And and from the cuff. Mine is more tactical and with purpose. Because (laughs) I think the only way that we are going to get to the root of all this is to take this from the beginning. That will bring us back. 
So, <clears throat> tell me, baby, where do we begin? Heather's is a dark ass comedy. Yes. <laughs> Yes, immediately. Yes, <laughs> ruthless are, are what we did last time. Uh, does this in a, in a way, but Heather's sort of takes it to an eleven. <laughs> I mean, at least eleven, at least. So I, I named up this before. So the the clue that I gave was uh, our writer of the original source film, Daniel Waters, was working at a video store while he created this. That's the, adorable. The funny the funny thing about this is he was so sick of these sugary stories depicting high school, um, a.k.a. pretty much anything Molly Ringwald was involved in in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Uh... yeah. So he was so sick, uh, he wanted something that contrasted this. He didn't feel that these were accurately showing life sure. of what a high school teenager was experiencing and like going through. So he wanted to create the antagonist of all of these <laughs> films. So he did. There's there's a lot of sort of backstory on this, a lot of name dropping. He wanted to work with some directors. He wasn't getting them. So he found people that would work with him, sure. wrote the thing, got the backing. Like that's just the tale of every film story show we're ever going to do. Yes. I'm not going to name drop on all this. If you really want to know, go look on Wikipedia. Go look but it up. It's there for you. Yeah, this is the weirdest thing because we know Heather's today as a cult classic. He got the backing. He got this filmed. The budget for the show is $3 million. Okay. Wow. In, wait, in 1988? 1988 was when uh, this film released. Wow. Officially. Yeah. What a budget but for 88 though. That seems like a wow. All right. This was different. It debuted at independent film festivals across the pond uh, in Europe. So it debuted in Milan, Italy of all places. Oh, wow. Fancy. Yeah. First uh, at an independent film festival and it went on to win Best first feature from a director, <gasps> a new director. No way! Oh, that's yep, cool. From the Independent Spirit Awards, and then Best Motion Picture at the Edgar Awards, which are independent film awards over in Europe. To this day, the film is still regarded as one of the best coming-of-age films ever made. And that's just a blanket statement. Wow. Do you, do you have a thought on that? Because I have a thought on that. <laughs> you share your thought first. I'm curious. You tell me. I vehemently disagree. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You wouldn't be you if you didn't. <laughs> this is a weird world that they live in. This is a weird world in which they sort of created that it is dark. It is the dark comedy sort of um, parallel universe that we're, we're living in. But I do think that it hits more truthful than maybe like a breakfast club does or a you know 16 candles does to daniel waters credit in a way <laughs> i just don't think that people exist on this level i think the heathers would have been made fun of why did the three heathers walk around together why are they all color-coded like nah. you know what i'm saying yeah in this world and so i don't agree but i do agree it is a great coming of age story that does counter some of the other sugary sweet things that daniel speaks to i would agree with you to say that it is the greatest coming of age story is a little i think a little bit too broad my first thought of a coming of age story i i always think of remember the titans because like that was a bunch of kids in high school 
in football during the 50s, like having to overcome all of these obstacles. And like that is a coming of age story, at least for me. Yeah. But that, you know, but to come back to the core of this, I think that Heather's in and of itself, especially the musical. I know that we're speaking about the film, but I'm pulling it into the musical realm. There are so many themes that it hits on that I think is the reason why I felt so many things because Spring Awakening echoed a lot of things. We know who we are, but we don't know what we want. We think we know what we want, but then we're shown something completely different. No one's listening to us. Why aren't things changing? Why are things getting so bad? Like there's a lot of universal themes that show up in this show. So do I think that it is the greatest quintessential coming of age story? No. And do I think that there are some things about it that absolutely echo coming of age and that do hit home to me? Absolutely. It had some huge stars, right? That were maybe coming. Slater. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you have Winona Ryder. Christian Slater, and then the queen of Beverly Hills herself, Shannon Doherty. Oh and I know she went out. You know, uh, so like these these girls and, and Christian Slater, like they, they're making a name for themselves already. Christian Slater. <laughs> Sorry, that's hysterical. Well, it's, it's like you think about it. Uh, what's his butt? Chris Evans was in that teen comedy spoof movie way back when. Not another teen movie. Oh my God. <laughs> Not another teen. I, I think you that's know what I'm true. Saying? I think that's yeah. true. Yeah. He was the hot jock that had whipped cream on his crotch. Yes. Like, yes. Uh, oh, everyone has to start somewhere. So, yes, this is very <laughs> whipped cream on your crotch is where every career begins. So, like I said, this film cost $3 million in America. It flopped hard. Oh, no. That's the birth of most cult films, and it's like a phoenix that rises from the ashes. Hell yeah. It only recouped 1.1 million. And it took three to... Oh, no. Yeah, so that sort of ends the story of this film. And then, of course, it resurged in its cult fashion. Of course, like you do. (laughs) What's old is now new again, and when 80s were in full swing, (laughs) mid-2000s, we were revisiting everything. People were re-looking at this, going, hey, so, um, Mean Girls was a huge success, which is essentially the new version of Heather's. Yes. Let's take a look at this and see what we can do. They started looking and gathering together a production team uh, for this musical itself. Rights were secured, development began. Kind of like Ruthless, this show has never actually been on Broadway proper. It has never made that transition. Really? Lawrence O'Keefe, and I know this because uh, writer for the libretto of Legally Blonde, I literally feel like I know this person because I directed and choreographed Legally Blonde <laughs> way back when. So th- this was so funny when the beginning of the we the show that we watched for to record this episode sure. when it first started. I am um, the first like five seconds. Um, I was like, I'm getting Legally Blonde vibes, <laughs> and then when I started doing my deep dive. I saw the name Lawrence O'Keefe and I went, <gasps> I, my ears aren't broken. So <laughs> Lawrence O'Keefe writer, because they loved the work that uh, they did rope taking the film of Legally Bunt into making it for this for the stage. Sure. So got them on board. Of course, they got more, you know, producers, more backers found 
the rest of the team. Um, I thought this was cool. Kristen Bell. No way. Yes. Kristen Bell was the original Veronica <gasps> in all of these sort of testing shows that were happening in, in all of up. this. Yeah. Wow. So this dry sort of humor that she she has, I can only see probably imparted into the the body that oh. is the essence of oh, Veronica. Yes. I, I, I can't get enough. I don't understand why the fan of the pod does not like Kristen Bell, but you know. <laughs> He's missing out. But He's I can absolutely see the influence in him. He's coming Good. around. Good. The f- other fun thing with this, Christian Campbell, whom she starred with in Reefer Madness. Yeah. Was JD originally <gasps> in these testing shows that they were doing before it officially aired in 2013. Oh my God, stop it. <laughs> yeah, love it. It's, it's So it was, they. one of the writers came off of Reefer Madness and I'm sure that they were like, hey, would you just come in and like read some of this stuff? But it, I, it just, it's so fun to me. And one of those fun Aww. crossovers because I also really, really love that musical. So it, it wasn't really gaining quick traction though, which was kind of fun, but you know, it never does. You have to like figure all the logistics oh, yeah, out. Totally. But in 2010, there was a concert at Joe's Pub, which is a pretty famous place in LA. I'm going to name drop a few names that were involved with this. So Anna, Anna Lee Ashford, Ooh, right? Our, yeah. our favorite mm-hmm. fun person. Favorite. J- Jeremy Jordan. <gasps> okay. And Jenna Green. So are some names to throw out there that were involved in this first concert version of this show. Fans ate it up. I bet like, they did. Production kept going. You keep having to build slowly but surely. 2013 comes along. It made its official off-Broadway debut. The acclaim was minuscule. As in, it was eaten alive (laughs) oh no yeah um reviewers did not get it like every single major news source like entertainment weekly and all the things did not get it they did not enjoy it there were some things that were like the camp level's great but it feels like a high school production Uh, like that's the whole point right but they didn't get it of course however this is almost why i i'm kind of scared to do this episode millennial and gen z crowds said screw you and loved it anyway fans of the show are ferocious they are (laughs) almost a terror but they are vehemently in love with the show they love this show and i understand watching it like i get the same feels i got watching spring awakening and so as the new spring awakening is what i'm deeming this of course you're going to love the hell out of it. Yeah. I think it's kind of fun that we've come full circle. It speaks to a younger generation Aww. and it makes these things happen, which is exactly what Daniel Waters ultimately wanted mm-hmm. and why he wanted to produce this, a.k.a. the same reason that Frank Vettekind wanted to put on an original production. I'm just over here just dancing at the idea that everything's come full circle now. I'm just like, because there will always be a generation of kids who think that people aren't listening to them. And it's like, I remember being 17 and going, my my parents don't understand me. Like, 33-year-old Mary's like, my God, sis, sit down. You don't know anything yet. You're fine. But like seven, but the young, the younger generation needs to be heard and they are heard through things like this, like Spring Awakening. Well, no wonder you thought it was a high school production. It fucking was like, it was, you literally can't look at this and go, oh, well, that's not good theater because it wasn't done by, shut up. You were 17 once too and thought that you were in love with someone that you really weren't. 
Yeah. Like, my God. Romeo just, and Juliet on acid, man. Seriously, <laughs> sit down. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, I'm here well, I am. And like, kind of getting into the, the psyche of it all, right? So when we're hitting that period of age, it's, it's proven that you are at a point where you try to separate yourself from your parents and all the adults because you have to sort of trial or birth by fire. Yes, absolutely. Like you, you have to rid yourself of all those sort of binds. So it, it like, it's a proven fact that like, that's what's happening in our brains. Yeah. So of course, like we don't think we're being hurt. We don't think these things are happening. However, we forget as adults so many times that that is happening and it takes extra care. We forget. And we're just like, you are a dumb child. Sit down and shut up. But that just fuels the rage. And that's Ugh. absolutely what this show does. They feel ostracized and unheard in every single way. And it's it's you a cent. You're planning your future, Veronica Sawyer. You'll go to some college and marry a lawyer. But the sky's gonna hurt when it falls. So you'd better start building some walls. Freeze your brain. Shut your eyes tight till you vanish from sight. Let nothing remain. Freeze your brain. I want to know first, what is your personal experience with the show? Where was the first time you know that you heard Heather's or like watched this original cult classic film? So do you remember the feature that Netflix used to have called Max? Yes. So one day I am sitting in my living room and I am mindlessly scrolling through Netflix trying to find something to watch. And I found Max and Max went, hey, do you need help choosing something? It was like clippy for Netflix. And I went, (laughs) right. Do you need some help writing a suicide note today? For those who don't know what clippy is, clippy was the little helper (laughs) on your Microsoft Word application. Uh, But I realized if you're if you're listening to this because we're covering Heather's you probably oh god you, won't, you probably weren't born nope you don't oh, know what no. clippy is uh, uh, anyway. i'm having an existential oh. moment okay well anyway so max for anybody who also doesn't know what max is but what it would do is it would give you a choice between two categories and it almost did like a bracket style to get you down to something to watch and so i would answer a and not b and then b and not a and whatever yep, yep, and it yep. got me down to something and it said okay well based on your choices we think you'd like and it shows me the cover for heathers (laughs) and i went um okay so this is it's a comedy but it's dark and there were like three other criteria and i was like okay this seems fun and of course i see winona Ryder, and i'm like oh absolutely i'm on board let's go and instantly fell in love with it (laughs) like (laughs) <laughs> the idea that some young girl would fall in love with, you know, the brooding, dark dude who wants to blow up the school is just, you know, when we it actually makes me think of a conversation that you and I had about do we give something a pass because we know it's a campy thing, right? Was we talking about Ruthless? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... You know, I think that while it is campy, the world that they live in, it is not beyond the realm of possibility because unfortunately see, we see it every day. Yeah, that we stuff see happens. Someone falling for the wrong person. We see someone like call it Stockholm syndrome, but not you like fall in love with a bad boy. Right. Absolutely. You're, 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 
if you're attracted to that for some reason and you don't know why. Well, and beyond just the falling in love with somebody else part, it's the idea that violence in schools still happen. So the thought of having somebody put a bomb underneath the school is absolutely something that could happen. So it's not necessarily can't be in that way. But like, you know, of course, the, the musical kind of takes it into a different direction. But that is my only experience with Heather's was I, you know, I watched it almost, I'd say a decade ago now. And because Netflix Max went, hey, do you need something to watch? And it showed me that. And uh, I mean, I've heard the music a little bit. Um, Dead Girl Walkin' is on, you know, a very, uh, a number, a varied number of my Broadway playlists that are on Spotify. Um, but as far as like the musical itself is concerned, I've never actually seen an iteration of this musical, nor have I been in this or known anybody who has. Um, so this was, I was kind of came into the musical part of it very green. Before I forget, I do want to sort of bring up maybe this sort of, uh, it probably felt larger than life to what you're speaking of with this bomb, like being like in the boiler room under the gym Mm -hmm. at like a high school pep assembly. Like that was the worst possible thing that in the eighties could have happened in school. And I find this funny because we just brought up this Columbine shooting in our last episode. It wasn't on people's radar that school shootings could be a thing. No. So once that happened, I think that's almost why this works better today than it did back then. They thought it was so sensational that this could be a thing, that children would do this, to suddenly have this veil come crashing down of rose-colored glasses by adults that realize, oh, our children can be violent in this way, too. Yeah, And we need to take notice. So I think maybe that has something to play in this as well. Well, and but even, I digress. Well, yeah. and even uh, in the musical itself, there are the lyrics in Big Fun where they're like, our parents don't, you know, they're, they don't know what we do when we're unsupervised and they still wonder why we act out and, you know, whatever the lyric is. But like, yeah. there is absolutely something to that where it's when you become an adult, right? The whole separation again of adults and kids, when you're an adult, especially if it's your child, you never think that they are capable of stuff like that. Like my kids would never hang around with bad boys who want to blow up schools. My kids would never bully somebody, but then you find out that they are just as culpable as you are as an adult. And it's not as outlandish as you once thought it were. Well, and they don't want to think about it. Yeah. They don't want to think about it because they're ultimately responsible for the outcome of what their little offspring did. Which is why I'm never having children. (laughs) My experience with the show. So again, like my siblings absolutely grew up in this era and I was subjected to all the things that I should not have been watching as a young, young child. Oh, as a young, young Steven. As a young, young little toehead, which is. (laughs) (laughs) I was probably subjected to this far too early in my upbringing. All I remember from being young and watching this was the color coded 
costumes they were wearing. That's all. Yes. That's all I remember. Yeah. I don't remember any of the content and no. nothing, nothing stuck with me at no. that point. And then Mean Girls took over and that was my bread and butter. So. That is your, that is your coup de grace <laughs> indeed. Yes. Yes. So yes. I feel like I've, I would have loved this show had I been the age of my siblings because I glommed on to Mean Girls so hard. Oh, yeah. So, you know, so I, I'm just going to say, yes, I've loved this show since I was like four, of mm, course. Cute. This musical, I'm actually going to show notes correct you on one thing already. <gasps> you do know someone that uh, has been in this show, and it happens to be a lovely person we met in Spring Awakening named Rachel. <gasps> Of course she was in Heather's. Of course she was. Yes. And Aww. this is, uh, so I'm going to shout out to Rachel. I'll probably tag you on our Instagram Aww, because Rachel. I love you so much. Oh, I miss you, sis. Aw. Same. But she had just come off of Heather's when she came to do our Spring Awakening. Oh, she didn't really? And oh, honey. It was kind of our bonding moment because she was absolutely all about Heather's the musical. I had just pretty much listened to the soundtrack for the first time. I had no whatever but she really 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 made me fall in love Aww. with the music from this show and our sort of inside joke was she was Chandler and I was Regina George anytime you saw us off in a corner we were probably plotting something not cool <gasps> No wonder I was afraid of both of you when I first met you. <gasps> that absolutely makes 1000% sense. See, I would love to say that I would I was one of the Heathers, but really I'm just Martha Dump Truck. Like that's who I am. Oh my and God, you are not. It, but I am though, and it's okay. I am Martha Dump Truck though. Let's be real. That is who I am. It's just, it. I have the fanny pack. I'm the big, I'm a big soul with a big heart. And I just want everyone to be friends. You just want everything to be sparkles and rainbows. She doesn't even go here. I just have a lot of feelings. Yeah, go home. <laughs> this is what I appreciate about, I mean, there are a lot of things that I appreciate about you, Stephen. But this one in particular is that I get to quote Mean Girls with you whenever we want to. So. Total, total side plot. I will always remember the iconic October 3rd mean girls party that we had and i made a cake full of oh. smiles and rainbows and you wore a pink shirt that said i'm a little bit dramatic <laughs> yes i sure did oh my god and it was about yeah. the coolest uh i mean that's a great side plot because like we we i'm amazed that we didn't make the phantom of the pod like get up and leave because you and i were quoting the movie the whole time, the whole time. but the we whole did time. tell him ahead of time we're like hey if you're gonna join this you gotta know that this is what we're doing so oh yeah i think it's funny that we have we have to almost talk about mean girls with heathers because yeah. heathers was the mean girls so i find it funny that mean girls got the pass and got to go to broadway but i think that half was because of tina fey i would love for heathers to go on actual broadway broadway like i would go I, see that yeah, same. So, uh, of course, Rachel. And uh, that was my essential uh, path to really learning and loving and experiencing the show. I absolutely sought it out, learned a lot about it. And this show is funny because it it's lived online. It's sort of its bread and butter. Like, people are always so particular about what gets to be put online right. and what gets shared online. And, yeah. like, they try to keep things a secret. Like, you can't show too much or you're Ooh. under strict negotiation. Like, if you were part of Newsies, you couldn't do an iota 
of like the choreography from the show. No. You couldn't do nothing on your socials. You no. couldn't even post what was happening. What happened with this show is its bread and butter was being viral and being online and in social media oh, in the public. Yeah. Full versions of the show are everywhere. Oh, yes. And it only fuels this generation of people to go see it live. And I think that only speaks to the content of the show and how meaningful it is live that it's so relatable in in how it is presented i'm going to go out on the limb the music added so much more to this it's better as a musical than it was as the film how dare you (laughs) any excuse to hit the button is a good one (laughs) but i don't actually dissent with you i think that that is That is a really bold statement to make, but I think it's not unfounded because I was actually saying to the fans of the pod as I was watching this, I went, I'm going to have to go back and watch Heather's, the the original source material, because Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make the correlations between what that was and then what the musical is. But all I'm remembering now, obviously, because I just came off of a fresh watch of it before we came into this, but I'm remembering so many more moments of that and not the moments in the film. So I completely agree with you. I think that the music added a ton to this and almost made the story more relatable i feel absolutely because it it gives you that emotional vehicle to like drive you forward and like relate to music is sort of i'm not gonna say music is a thing for teenagers but music is a way to express your emotions easily as a teenager so using a musical in this way to express the emotions that they're having in which you couldn't do in any other way because as a teenager you don't want to say the wrong thing you don't want to wear the wrong thing you don't want to express yourself in the wrong way to be made fun of and ostracized (sighs) so what are you gonna do you're gonna sing about it in your head (laughs) Mood. Yes. No notes. Yes. Yes. I never get a note. talk about uh let's let's go through this then okay opening number i called this the quintessential musical theater opening number i agree (laughs) there's nothing new being presented in any way that that is offered i i think it was built that way because a lot of information has to be disposed to you quickly and it, it it just it just reminds me of all of the musicals that I love and adore. And it didn't change that for me. So I was immediately familiar with what this format is going to be. I'm going to be introduced to these characters. I'm going to be afforded the topical information I need to know. So I'm not feeling thrown into this weird world. And I think it also allows us the ability to not only get this information at us, but then we are able to identify quickly who is important this is going to sound bad, but who's important and who's not like being able to know, okay, this 
is your who you could consider your protagonist. Here are your group of antagonists. You could say here is here are all of these people. And of course, we save JD. You know, for the moment that he needs to show up. He needs but, to, yeah. I mean, under the radar, and he would have just been. He wouldn't have been introduced in this because he's under the radar in yeah, every single way. Absolutely. He's a new kid. Nobody knows him. Absolutely. So. There's no reason that anyone would be able to identify him in a lineup. But it it is so good in the way of it, it really does take you as an audience member and it puts you inside one of Heather's jackets and goes, <laughs> OK, we're going to take care of you for the next two hours. Ready? This is what we're dealing with. So let's talk about this contrast to the film. The movie did this with no assistance of music to help sort of guide this nuance of it all. Mm-hmm. It's not a dystopian world that we're talking of with this original uh, Heather's film. No. But, um, so how do I explain this? Like, I forgive the Hunger Games and sort of like the divergence of the world because there is no reality per se <laughs> to sort of go off of where this happened, you know? Um, Sorry. <laughs> but if you're trying to emulate reality, right, like Daniel Waters was trying to do, you have to get it right. Like, hence this show is known for being a classic, which generally means it was so bad it was good somehow. Yes. And they fixed this in this musical because it sort of always bugged me, like, as I've gotten older and rewatched Heathers. I'm like, I I don't buy in right away. I buy in with this musical. (laughs) I love that they don't have Victoria already, Victoria, Veronica, already being friends with this sort of trio of terror, right? Ooh, I love that. Um, but they allow her to sort of make her case a little bit and explain how she got there. Right. To be friends with them. Yeah. And they added that cute little scene of her, like, having this ability to forge people's handwriting. Exactly. Which doesn't exist. You are just thrown into this world where Veronica knows how to do this. Right. And you're like, wait, why? Can we talk about the Heather's entrance? <gasps> Which is, I was going to judge this so harshly. Because oh. I actually will say, uh, when the day we cover Mean Girls is going to be a glorious day. I'm so ready for that. I'm ready. But I'm going to preface a little bit. And uh, I was a little upset with the plastics entrance in that. I was not upset with this Heather's entrance. <laughs> It's hard for me to form words that are not expletives because it was so good. It was amazing. It felt like I was at a concert. Like it was just, it was, was especially, can we just also talk about the fact that every time they hit their like ending pose, they were all in their colored light. Oh, so good. And I think that's sort of needed in this show. Oh, yes. And so, like, directors know for anyone wanting to put the show on, or if you're a cast member, demand. Start demanding. I demand. You demand, we demand, we all demand. We all demand. Steven demanded his strobies and he got them. Yes. Yes. Put them gels in those. Because it is, again, with the whole, the kids' world being so colorful, it also helps us identify who these people are. And it it really, we are a visual 
we are visual people, right? So in order for us to really like connect that, it felt, and it also, it felt so right because they are so perfect. Each one of them knows their place. So they have to be in the right light. Oh, I just made that connection. Okay, that was fun. So as I mentioned, Veronica sort of narrates us through this musical like it does in the film and it sort of leads you into what the existential issue is that permeates the show and it's we're dropped into this pressure cooker that is high school where social norms sort of are king right like you don't do anything worthy of being ostracized, including wearing the wrong brand mm-hmm. because you will be like severely beaten down or you can't say the wrong thing because then you're going to be joked about for the rest of your time in in these, you know, high school walls. Mm-hmm. But everyone is trying to get the leg up. They're trying to claw their way to the top. Well, and, and the so lyrics themselves beating them down. Right? Yeah, the lyrics themselves lend to that, where they they start saying all of these archetypes as the song progresses. Yeah, right? and and Veronica has introduced you to this idea that like it wasn't like this when we were kids. Exactly, what changed. What like, happened? Why did we all of the sudden yeah. start hating each other? Like, what changed? And that's her question. That really sort of drives us forward in this because mm-hmm. we start remember I think it connects us to it because we start remembering those moments that we had in school. Totally. Do, do you kind of get the sense that this is kind of a question I just want to sort of pose and and maybe even uh with our po- with our episode drop I want to know if you happen to be listening to this and you are of more of a Gen Z age. I want to know, do you get a sense, Mary, that this isn't the case anymore in high school? Or is it still this way? Like, did Glee change the social structure of high schools forever, at least for the last (laughs) decade? You know what I'm saying? Like, it felt like things used to be real clicky. Like, that was the whole trope of high school musical. Like, things were clicks, and now they are not. But at the same time... I don't think a lot has changed because there will always be teenagers wanting sort of the acclaim. Do you get a sense that things have changed at all? Or do you think we're heading in a direction where this isn't the way of the land anymore? Well, you know, unfortunately, my experience is very kind of limited only because I went to a private high school. Right. So we only had you know, 50, 75 kids across all of these grades. And Mm -hmm. when I was in school, there absolutely were cliques because none of the classes really hung out with each other. They all are like, they didn't cross hang out with people. They just hung out in their nucleus of the students that were in their age category. So like there was real, there was no real like group of, you know, your stoners and then your jocks and your whatever. But I've been in high schools, you know, over the last, I'd say, five years, maybe just with being a photographer and helping with theater things. And and I can see that there are still clicks that happen, but I don't think it's to the severity that it was when we were in high school or, you know, in the era that this musical takes place where if you did the wrong thing, you absolutely would be ostracized. 
because I think now we're coming into this age where things like, you know, transgender is a very big thing right now because, you know, unfortunately, we've got lawmakers who are petitioning to try to take rights away from trans people. Oh, gosh. And it's severely affecting teenagers specifically. Yes. And that's so annoying. Life affirming drugs are not going. Oh, I just. It's awful. It really Pay attention, is. People pay the fuck attention. It is. I, I, if they can do this to you now, they're going to think they can do more things. Yeah. Just just letting you know. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where I've, you know, I'm, I feel very kind of silly for saying this, but, you know, now more than ever, people are becoming more comfortable with what their pronouns are and being able to voice those things. And I mm-hmm. think that people are being more acceptive or more acceptive. That's not a word. More accepting of that because of the shift in culture. So like, you know, I always, I've always identified as she, her. And, but now like, especially in college, I'm stage managing a production at our local college and half of the cast when, you know, they are she, they, or they, them, or, you know, it's, it's just, it's so refreshing to be able to see younger generations accept who they are. But I think, you know, that is coming from this, this idea that it is being rooted in them younger and younger. And so that's the long way of saying, I don't think it's as bad as it used to be, but do I think it still exists? Absolutely, because we are a pack mentality people. We get comfortable in a group of people that are like-minded to us, and so we'll always form those whether or not we intend to do so. And I think the difference is, do those groups ostracize each other, and do they... You know, do they attack each other because of who they are? That's interesting that you bring that up because that's one of the things with this show. The Heathers essentially will eat each other and throw each other under a bus. They're not friends. Veronica speaks to this. They're like, it's like they're going to work and their job is to be popular. Yep. Yep. Mood. Yes. And but they just have to coexist and be together because this was, you know, the the Iron Forge. I I look at it and it's it's so almost draining to to think that that group of girls has to keep up that appearance all the time. There all is the time. no off time. I mean, so okay. So then I'm going to pointedly ask you oh. the suicide note that oh spoiler the suicide note that heather heather chandler (gasps) gets written you know from veronica right eventually we'll get there we'll get there in our story but do you identify or think that the content of that letter speaks because they're talking about the popular girl has issues too, but we're we're kind of supposed to take it with a grain of salt. But is it also speaking to something that really is happening? That is a really excellent question. That I would like to say, as someone who was not a popular person in high school, who has now—I wouldn't say I am popular, but I would say that I know who I am now, and I have humans that I have pulled into my circle that know who I am and have accepted me for who I am. So I am popular among that group of people. I think that it is something that absolutely does exist, 
But I do not relate to it because my first instinct is to go, oh, poor you, because look at all of this stuff that you have and look at all these people who love you and look at all this this leg up that you've been given above the rest of us. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you have problems, too. Like, boo-hoo. But that makes my skin want to crawl off my body because it's like, of course she would have problems because humans have problems. You're like, going to wh- grin and bear it, your newfound popularity. <laughs> oh, yeah. But really, <laughs> why is that my first thought? Because I was shunned in high school and made to feel like, you know, the the awkward fat girl that like no one would ever love. Like, is that why I just get salty at that? I mean, maybe. But I, I truly, I find it very interesting that that is what they use to kind of idolize Heather Chandler because then they have this entire song, but it's like they're taking this suicide note very much in the style of Dear Evan Hansen also taking these notes and these letters and going, oh, I didn't realize that Connor was so deep. Oh, I didn't realize that Heather had problems. Like, she's got problems just like me. That's why she punched me in the face. No. <laughs> No, it is not why she punched no, you it's in the not. face. She was just a... Oh, what did Veronica say? She is a mythical bitch. Yes! <laughs> I am also putting that on a t-shirt and sending it to you immediately. <laughs> Okay, well, now I have to ask you the reverse question because I can only assume that you were among the popular students in high school. Oh, no, 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 no. You, wait, back up. Really? Really, really? No, 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 no. High school was a weird weird thing for me. So growing up in Montana, it's a different experience than maybe going to a high school that has more people in that high school than some towns do in Montana, right? Fair enough, yes. So there were 500 people at my high school, and my class was smaller at, we had like 120 or something. Sure. And everyone knew everyone. Like, you will, you, everyone overlapped in some class at some point at some time, and you all worked in group projects. Like, everyone knew each other. It wasn't sure. like you could go hide and be just a number anywhere. So I also had a thing where I was so scared of going into high school. I was scared to go into high school. I was a country boy who went to a country school with eight people through all of my like young lower grades. Undoing a locker combo was scary to me because I'm like, I've never done this. I don't know how I'm going to like survive this. I remember going through as a freshman, you're allotted a week before to like go in and sort of make yourself familiar with the school. Get your feet I went wet. In, I, I went in every day and like ran the path of my classes because I was so scared of getting lost. Oh, Steven. Like that's who I was like going in. My brother and sister had not a harder time in high school, but they were 
I will just call them unpopular. Sure. <laughs> so my experience or what I understood high school to be from my siblings was different. So I had my first semester was very quiet, reserved. I kept to myself and I did not do anything. I knew the eight people <laughs> that I had been in grade oh, school with. Honey. And I just was very quiet. I knew no one. I knew absolutely no one. Sure. But eventually, something inside of me opened up a little bit more. And a lot of that had to do with theater and drama and choir mm. and singing and and getting to know these people and then being able to share your talents and your gifts and those things and just sort of com getting together with people like you say are like minded and understand you on deeper levels that you didn't know could be a thing. And as a teenager, that is so important. And oh. I will never claim to be a popular kid in high school. What I was, was I was involved. And that, I, sure. I joined every single club that I wanted to. Because eventually I, I broke myself of the shackles that I thought high school was going to be because of my siblings. Mm -hmm. And I forged my own path because of that. And I said, no, you two weren't involved in anything. I want to be involved in everything. Oh. And it literally paid for half of my college <laughs> because <laughs> I got so many scholarships. I, I got to know so many people and make connections and it was fun. I made high school fun. I wasn't popular. People knew me because I was so involved and that's all high school was to me was going from the next experience to the next experience. I, I was the one that floated. I will all, I had my close group of friends, but I knew everyone and I tried to be that person that would accept everyone. Sure. And so that was me. So watching these sort of shows makes me laugh a little bit because I go, that's not real, but it is for so many people out there. I now recognize that some of these kids were the JDs and Aww. some of these kids thought themselves to be a Heather Chandler, but maybe they were having some issues going home, yeah. you know? And so I don't know. I, I will always sort of laugh a little bit be because high school was fun for me, but I wasn't popular. Honey. I wasn't, I wasn't ever like that kid that was, you know, lifted up and, you know, voted prom King. And I was not that, that was not my story. Sure. But people knew who I was, for better or for worse, whether they made fun of me behind my back or not, you know, whatever. But I learned very quickly, high school is four years, and it's not going to last forever. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I trade my life for yours. We'll make them disappear. We'll plant our garden here. Our love is God. 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 Well, it seems like we have a lot of things to discuss. We are just tipping the surface of this musical. So we are going to break this into two parts. So make sure to join us next week for part two of Heather's The Musical.
What is your favorite flavor of corn nuts? <laughs> Whatever goes with a a blue raspberry Slurpee, because that's the only road trip food that you can have. Oh, so D's nuts. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You had to make a D's nuts joke. I love you so much. You're such a bro. <laughs> Fuck me. All right. Let's... Mask. What are you talking about? Oh, he... He say it's a man's world. Oh, my God. This is a well, man's world. cannot be denied. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, what good's a man's world without a woman by your side?